When Frank Zappa released his debut album, Freak Out, in 1966, he correctly predicted an authoritarian backlash against the emerging counterculture. Non-conforming Americans everywhere found to their horror that in practice, they didn't have nearly as much freedom as decades of constant anti-communist propaganda had led them to believe. Was it really happening here? Were the FBI and the CIA turning America into the Big Brother dictatorship of George Orwell's worst dream mares? <laughs> the Uriah Heap shout out there. Who are the brain police? Well, it turned out much later that the NSA was the brain police. Mm -hmm. But before Edward Snowden revealed that, there was a moment in time, a couple decades before it actually happened, when we all got real nervous that it was happening. Then. And that was the period leading up to the arbitrarily chosen title year of Orwell's novel 1984. Today, <laughs> we're going to turn back the doomsday clock to a time when Ronald Reagan was bringing the heat to the Cold War and Pablo Escobar was bringing fuck tons of cocaine into the U.S. with a genre I like to call George Orwave. Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock Podcast. Hi. My name is J.D. Riznar. There's Hollywood Steve. Hey, I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm in the captain's chair this week, and I can't believe I'm the only one wearing purple in here. R.I.P. Prince. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sitting to the immediate right of Hollywood Steve is me, Dave Lyons. Hey, how are you? Who's across from Dave? It's Hunter. Beyond Yacht Rock is brought to you by FeralAudio.com. It's a podcast network. You go on Feral Audio's website, you shop on Amazon through their portal. All the amazing artists who uh, make podcasts for Feral get a couple cents off your purchase. So do that. And we're actually you? spotlighting things you can buy on Amazon. So if you're like, oh shit, I gotta go buy Frank Zappa's debut album, Freak Out, as a CD or an MP3, then you do it through the Amazon portal, but you should do it. Yeah, it's actually a pretty incredible album. It's a really, it's recommend. one of the yeah, first rock great. concept albums. Yeah. This is great. It's so, a fantastic record. Beyond the Out Rock is a podcast where we create arbitrary genres and count them down. Today's genre is called George Orwave, but we know that you people listen to us because you've seen our internet show Yacht Rock and you like Yacht Rock music, so we're going to throw a bone to you. <sighs> it's time for the Yacht Rock bone throw. Really? Wait, that wasn't the bone throw right there? Here it comes. Morning. Clear Only. The, clear the stink out of this room. On Beyond Yacht Rock. Yeah, burping in the mic is fine for Soundcheck Hunter. Not not the podcast. Come on. Al Jarreau, I call him Scat King Cole. He's one of those pure pop jazz artists that would sometimes slip into Yacht Rock during its heyday. Because Yacht Rock had such a, a, a strong jazz foundation. At yeah, its core. it was easy to do. This guy was pop jazz. He was he was pajazz. Yeah, I like to call it pajazz. He was pajazzlin'. This song, Mornin', is off his 1983 album, Jero. Pajazzlin' was a pretty hot trend for a little while there. Yeah, really he was, was. A, he was a top-notch pajazzler. Steve's face lit up when we said pajazz. <laughs> <laughs> it just went... Yeah, I think you heard jizz. That's the word I've been waiting for my whole life. I didn't see from the outline how you were going to actually pronounce it out loud. Ah, yeah, P-Jazz. Uh, no, P-Jazz. Okay, this album, Jero, was produced by, wait for it, <laughs> Jay Graydon. Jay oh! Graydon! Oh! 
off was worth the wait. I'm starting to think that Jay Graydon might be the most important guy in Yacht Rock. Second to, most. To review, second most. Um, to review, guitar solo in Peg, and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. super involved with Steely Dan. Yeah, you're giving uh, Hunter a river boner. And this song was it was co-written with El Jarreau by Jay Graydon and David Foster, another Yacht mm. Rock stalwart, mm. behind-the-scenes mm. guy. Mm. Um, so this is my all-time favorite El Jarreau song, and I love it's a lot great. of El Jarreau songs. This is the best. It's such a, it's got a sunny attitude, and this is jazzy guitar syncopation. It's just this great 80s yacht song. Yeah, it's just so happy, and oh my god, the music video. He's just dancing around in yeah. this uh, animated world. Yeah, it's unbelievable. He's got so a, a sailboat sweater. Uh, it's it's for, and then in the video it's literal, so you, you if you hear it in the lyrics, it happens in the video. Like he interacts with cartoon Cheerios and Orioles. And at one point he grabs a bunch of balloons and flies into the air and he's so just a happy, unhinged guy. He's just adorable, like the mentally challenged guy. Like the let's say the retarded guy in your high school that yeah. everybody liked. He's um, a, kind of an idiot savant, though. And then, like, he he, he goes... This is the bridge right here. There's the part of the bridge, he's just standing in the air, and he goes nutballs crazy. Here he's comes. just standing in the sky singing, and out, out of nowhere, he sings this. He sings this. He's just going nutballs, and he's then touching underneath... the face of God. He's trying to freak ever. people out. Like, that's, that's a moment where you're fucking with your you gotta drug see the friends. Video. And then the song eases back into this super smooth yacht rock with this David Foster synth solo. It's so good. And then it's, at the end of the song, El Jero even scats a little, you know? I love this guy. He just seems like such a nice guy and, like, someone you want to be around, like a friendly uncle. He was like Bill Cosby before Bill Cosby became current Bill Cosby. Looks yeah. like what we thought Bill Cosby was. I I don't know, man. Bill Cosby was kind of always an asshole. When you really go back and look, he was kind of a dick. Well, if you peel back the curtain. I mean, if you, even if you peel back the I want to get into the Bill Cosby's an asshole thing. But I will say this. I like how Yacht Rock started with, with jazz and, and, like, prog. And they, they went away from it and made it way more mainstream. And they started inching closer back to their origins towards the, towards the later years. Like inviting guys like Al Jarreau to come hang out with them. It's great stuff. When we do the Yacht Soul episode, we got to put Al Jarreau in there. Oh, whenever, it should, whenever it should that only happens. be Al Jarreau. <laughs> the new genre, Al Jarreau. I want to get to. I want to find the scat. Pajaz. Jarreau. I'm gonna find the, his scatting in here. Here we go. There's a portman here, 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 here it is. Yeah, I'll work it out. You, you want to talk that. about paranoid 80s music? Yeah, I mean, even though this is even better than the moonlighting thing, let's get into the genre. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we all know there are plenty of rock songs about paranoia. There are plenty of rock operas about totalitarian dystopias. But the arbitrary genre of George Orwave that I've created falls into a very specific time period, which is the years leading up to 1984. Every news outlet in America started comparing our society to Orwell's to see how close we'd gotten to his nightmarish vision. Uh, it was Orwell's year, just like the title of this timely golden earring song 
that we're listening to right now. This is one of those songs that I added onto your list. Yeah, that, and I that, picked it for the background. For yeah, the which intro. is fine. I, I literally typed in everything that had to do with uh, 1984, the book, and George Orwell in, into a search, and the amount of songs that came up from the year 1983 to 85 was astounding. Yes. It's I had no idea thing. any it's, of them that existed. Yeah, this was a big fucking deal in 1984 because Reagan's military buildup was... Everybody was afraid we were actually going to have a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Like, what if we were all annihilated? They, they, they did that whole miniseries the day after, I think it was oh, called. The morning, the morning after. after. The morning after. Yeah. Uh, or worse, what if we live but the communists were in charge of us? Red Dawn. Yeah. Dystopia was happening right now. And plus, advances in cocaine technology were driving prices down, making it affordable enough to become America's new favorite paranoia-inducing drug. So, this is... Can we listen a little bit yeah. of this? No. Yeah. It's such a stupid song. Uh, let me just That's say, why I didn't me, put it in the countdown. Let me give Steve some props. This this cocaine and 1984 mashing in this genre, like discovering the cocaine yes. connection as well, brilliant. Yes. It's so it's, spot on. It's the cultural confluence of cocaine in the Cold War that creates the context for George Orwave. And this Boom is the, on the alliteration. And it had been going to that because if you, like, uh, 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 Dirty Harry, his, like, it started, they started shifting from the, like, a hippie love days to the, to the drugged out hippies who are, like, in the shadows murdering people. Like, that's, stuff started happening, like, it started being super paranoid about stuff, like, it was twisting. Cocaine fed into that. Yeah. I think this is an important genre to, to sort of identify today because I feel like we're closer to Orwell's vision than ever, definitely further along than the 19th. 1984, you know, because of the the NSA, the endless wars in foreign lands, bad things being named good things, the Patriot Act, things like that, like it's all here today. And the interesting difference between Orwell's 84 and the Big Brother of today is that Orwell's world was bleak and terrible and horrible, and our world is awesome. Like they're spying on me on my cell phone, this thing I keep in my pocket that I can play Candy Crush on anytime I want. Yes, please take a look at what I'm up to, Obama. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, that's how they get you. So. It's more like a brave new world where they keep everybody drugged up on summer. So like they make people feel good yeah. about being. Everybody was bummed in 1984. If I, if I'm. Yeah, it was a bleak thinking. communist thing. Uh, okay, so what exactly are the rules for this genre? Wait, I got a question. Okay, you're not going to spoil the book 1984, are you? Because I never finished it. No, it's Absolutely. not going to be about the plot of 1984. Okay, it ends with a big dance number. In 1985. Yeah. <laughs> Clock strikes midnight. And everything is fine. Oh, no. But I'm glad you asked that, Hunter, because a lot of George Orway's songs are actually not literally about totalitarian dictators. Uh, a lot of them, Good. what they'll do, they'll take that big brother mindset, but they'll translate it into a personal relationship. Do you want, like, your, you want your example song? Uh, not yet. Okay. I'll get through a little Sorry. bit of this first, and yeah, then we'll get up to the specific musical let's framework. Let's stretch it out. One big thing that a lot of these songs have in common is the paranoid, mentally unstable narrator. Like, is the paranoia real? Is someone gaslighting him? Is it all in his mind? Is he the victim or the victimizer? He doesn't know! Ah, <laughs> uh, love this. And so it's this weird sort of pop schizophrenia that you wouldn't expect to find so squarely in the mainstream of the cultural zeitgeist. But... That's where all these weird, tense, mentally unstable feelings wound up for a few years. And that is why, unlike my last couple of episodes, this genre is best illustrated with songs that people have heard of. 
Yeah! I better hear some clapping from everybody in the goddamn room right now. I'm a little conflicted, I gotta be honest. I clapped. He clapped, thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, here, let me Dave, up. sigh with relief directly into the mic. Oh, I'm a big fan, you. Steve. I'm a big fan of yours. All right, yeah, yeah, thank you, Hunter. We're the axis of nerdery. So, musically, the reason we're listening to Billy Joel's Pressure right now, a lot of these songs are going to be new wavy, since that was a dominant pop style at the time. But if there's one element that puts your oar wave over the top, it's the kind of jagged, angular, minor key synth riff, like the one Billy Joel put into the song. Uh, we had this in the Divorce Core episode, and re-listening to it was what gave me the idea for this genre. Uh, this song is kind of ultimately too much about his divorce. I'd like to say but that. God damn, that is the musical foundation right there. But another thing yeah. about about George Orwave music is that it can be a personal paranoia. Like, yes. oh, my yeah, woman's absolutely. sleeping on me, sleeping around on me, or like, you know, something like that. You're going to hear a lot yeah. of that in these Yeah, songs. it's the big brother mindset translated into a personal relationship. And New Wave was like... Drive a lot of this. New Wave was like the cocaine to the hippie rock's marijuana. So get with the times, man. <laughs> yeah, but let's, let's talk about the sound. Yeah, the sound... I mean, Steve just mentioned it. It's... These these minor tonality synths and like this dry this droning synthesizer in, in yeah, minor chords. There's like this this staccato this that just keeps hitting you. Yeah, in this song particularly, but you're gonna hear a lot of just droning. It's like it's gnawing at the back yeah, of your really head. really tense yeah. from all the coke. Uh, minor key makes you sad, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad. Of it's all a sad keys. key. Yeah. And so if you play it really, if you're taking something sad and you're playing it really, uh, like, uh, like spasmatic, mm. it's yeah. gonna create like a weird. It's on emotion. It's unhinging. It's like a, discordant. Like you, it's like manic. Really manic, terrible feeling. Yeah, manic, discordant, unhinged. These are these are these are words in the dictionary that you're gonna hear us say a lot. Yes. Uh, this this genre kind of ends like once 1984 comes and goes without a dictatorship taking over the English-speaking world. It kind of loses steam, and then Gorbachev comes to power in the Soviet Union in '85. And the so. crack the crack epidemic made cocaine gauche for a little while. Yep. Yeah, also, and Nancy also, Reagan's war on drugs sort of kind of worked. Yeah. And then uh, Len Bias overdosing in '86 on cocaine, which bummed everybody the fuck Ooh, out. Yeah, that, that was that was, was a big one. That's a sport reference that I actually get. Um, should we count this down? Let's count it down, bro. Count them down. Oh, are these new? Yes, ah, they are. That's super fun. Yeah, I love our bumpers. Yeah, we got good fans and the people that make them. Uh, Ron Estrada made these. Ron Estrada, thank oh, you. Talked to us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ron. At okay. Ron the Sandwich. Huh. Ron the Sandwich. Gotta reach out to that guy. Give him a little thanks. Yeah. Cool. All right. Here's here. We're finally getting some music in here. It's starting uh, off as, as the as the intro slowly builds. This is Silent Running, subtitle on Dangerous Ground by Mike and the Mechanics. Uh, neither the phrase "silent running" nor the phrase "on dangerous ground" is actually present in the lyrics. Kind of starts like a moonshot. Oh, yeah. It's this song is about this is about three quarters uh, George Orwave and one quarter moonshot. Also, did you know that the on you know where the on dangerous ground came from? Was it I don't. A movie, it, right? It, it, yeah, it came from a movie that was directed by the guy. Or, it was made by the guy who directed Tentacles, so it also has wow. a giallo shot connection. Oh, man. Man, we find so many fucking connections, man. Yeah, they forced on. It's dead, almost on like all of ground. them are arbitrary. 
like our genres. <laughs> like us. Thanks for explaining that, Steve. Also, uh, Silent Running, the, the main title of the song was also a movie. It was from 72. It starred Bruce Dern. The song was named after it, and it has nothing to do with that movie's plot at all. So the movie is awesome, though, because Bruce Dern is a space nerd, and he's on a <laughs> space station with two space jocks that give him a hard time through the whole movie. It's stupid and great. Oh, that sounds amazing. I hate space jocks. <laughs> Worse. So we, I, we we hit earlier, this is three quarters or even one quarter moonshot. Uh, according to Mike Rutherford, who's the leader, who's the Mike of Mike and the Mechanics, he's a member of Genesis, he's the guitarist. Mike plus the Mechanics. Yes, it's Mike plus the Mechanics. The correct spelling of Mike and the Mechanics uses a plus sign instead of an ampersand. He's one uh, of the few musicians that didn't die in 2016. And what's funny is they never finished that equation. What does what does Mike plus the Mechanics equal? You're Great listening. music. You're listening to it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So the plot of this song, uh, this guy has traveled in space and is light years away from Earth, so he's ahead in time, you see. So he knows what's going to happen to his wife and kids. He's trying to get a message back to them to warn them about the, the coming war and the totalitarian takeover, which he apparently thinks they can survive by hiding in the cellar with the gun that he left them. Uh, there's a lot of logistical problems with this plot line. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. That neither Mike nor the mechanics have thought through. No, no, it makes total sense. Dad's with the high command in the future, so he so he knows what's going on. He's he's read the history. He's trying to get a message back to the time and his family to protect him. It's too bad he couldn't send a Terminator. Does anybody else want some of my cocaine? <laughs> good cocaine bit. Dude. Yeah, good. <laughs> that was a Hollywood pitch meeting. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you about song lyrics don't make sense. When you have a hook like this. Your verses don't need to make sense. Me coming, That's true. Did you hear me rolling? You. I knew this song. I didn't so even good. know what the verses were. Well, like, oh, he, these fit great. If he's saying, can you hear me coming, and it's called Silent Running. You can't hear No, not coming. if he's running silently. Because it's silent. Silent means you can't hear it. Yeah, so the answer is no. We can't hear you well, I think it might be rhetorical. Possibly. Quickly, let's uh, talk uh, about the singer of this song. This song Quickly. is sung by Paul Carrick, uh, who's been a supporting character in a lot of different projects. He also sang lead on Aces How Long and yep. Squeezes Tempted. It's unbelievable. I hear it. It's great. This is the English language cover of Falco's first European hit, Der Commissar, oh, which is best Falcon. known in English-speaking countries in this version by After the Fire, which is a British band. Uh, this is their only real hit. Now, on the surface, the song sounds like a totalitarian dystopia where everybody's trying to avoid this shadowy government official, Der Commissar. He's out to get you. You can't let him see you. Don't turn around. He's right there. The commissioner or the inspector, depending on which translation you use. Uh, but it turns out, fun fact, Der Commissar is actually German slang for cocaine. Fantastic. Oh, so this guy who's trying to what a genre. This guy who's trying to control your life is making you attend fun cocaine dance parties. Exactly. Oh boy. <laughs> oh no. No, this is going to turn terrible. around. You're going to have a great time. Yeah. And so yeah, this is the this is the the neatest George Orwave trick of all. He casts cocaine itself 
as the totalitarian dictator. This is a pretty hot trying rap, too. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, the Falco, the original Falco version is pretty... Because it's, it's in German, German rap. Yeah, it's, yeah. Abs- it's so much better in German, kind of like uh, D.D. King's catalog. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's just a German kid. Yeah. So, fun fact, the main dude in this band, Peter Banks, mm-hmm. changed his name to Memory Banks <laughs> to avoid confusion with w- the Yes guitar player, Peter Banks. Oh, the tiny, you're talking tiny about, Peter Banks. Yeah, talk about paranoia, like it. Hey man, I see you looking at me like I'm the yes guitar player, Peter Banks. <laughs> no man, make, makes makes total sense. Memory Banks fits into the trope of computerized future watching over us the way the way Dustin's watching us through the the window right, right now. You want some of my coke? Oh, Dave's got a coke bit he's doing. Today. Oh, thank coke God you brought, bit. brought all this coke in the like studio. It. But how presumptuous is it that the keyboard from the keyboardist from After the Fire would think he's a big enough deal to be confused with the guitar player from <laughs> Yes, one of the biggest bands in the world? <laughs> Yeah, this was when Yes was popular, too. Like, they yeah. stopped doing prog, and they started Wait, so doing like, what was conventionally it? structured songs Stop like Owner of a Lonely heart. heart. Yeah, that was it. They sold Stop a million records. My heart Sorry. Stop I had the cocaine, It was the heart. It's the cocaine talking. You know what? We're going to talk until the sun comes up. It'll all make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes sold a million records when they were prog. They were huge. huge. Right, but they, were not, they weren't on the pop charts very much. And I want to say that they go, cha, cha. Yeah, Falco does that in the original. Yeah. Which is the killing word from Doom. Paul Moadib's killing word from Doom. It came out in 1984. Yeah. That's and another hot paranoid movie. I wonder movie. if they stole that from Falco. I gotta tell you, when I was listening to this, like, to research and write about it, I, I about a, got about a minute and a half in, and I immediately turned it off and put on my Falco record, because his version I just think is ten times. Fal- yeah, Falco's is pretty Shah. cool, too. But we don't want to you con- can see him miming, sniffing things in yeah, the video. He's, he's like running from green screen police cars the entire Shah. time. Yeah, Shah. It's like a Hall & Oates video. Shah. Great stuff. That really fits this uh, countdown pretty well. This song kicks off remarkably like Billy Joel's Pressure, which is why I'm remarking on it. That's what I'm talking about, the manic staccato. Mm-hmm. I was, I always thought this was Oingo Boingo. What is nope. it, Steve? And they could have had stuff on the list, too. Nope, guys, this is the English beat. This was one of the major UK ska revival bands, for the part of the two-tone movement that was sort of a subgenre of new wave. Uh, in England, they were just known as the beat, but they had to change their name because there's a band uh, fronted by Paul Collins in America called, called the Beat. Yeah, uh, good old Paul Collins. Paul and they, Collins. they were known is the British beat in Australia. It's like how Foster's means beer, you know? Get me a Budweiser breed uh, Foster's Crocodile Dundee. Now, when you to- <laughs> nail, fucking nailed it. When I, knew, when I knew so you were going to make I could not wait to hear your Australian accent. Yeah. And it was spot on. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think I said the title of this song. Oh. This is Mirror in the Bathroom. Uh, which Not was, by Oingo Boingo. No. This was uh, often made... Th- people mistook this for another cocaine song because a mirror in the bathroom is what you snort cocaine off of. Uh, but apparently the band didn't mean it that way. It was just a song about narcissism. Like the emerging narcissism of the culture in the 80s. And also this is our first mentally unstable narrator of the countdown. I have to say, 
And there's a great sultry sax in it as well. It really does. If this is if this song is about any type of drug, it's about acid. Because the mirror is the natural enemy of acid. Especially the mirror in the bathroom. I think if this were about drugs, it's about koala chow. That's Australian for weed. Oh, you're fucking nailing it, dude. It's so good. <laughs> no, How are you not working in voiceover? I am. Oh, yes. fantastic. <laughs> I'm on like two shows. Yeah. Didn't you do a Family Guy or something? Uh, I was on American Dad. Yeah. Period. That's... <laughs> That's it, American Dad, period. Yeah. That's the end of your... But let's talk more about George Orwell and his influence on 1984 pop music. Pardon me. <laughs> Is there anything... Well, oh, I will say it's weird to sing about a mirror in a bathroom, because there's a mirror in every bathroom. Yeah. It's like a song called Counter in the Kitchen. Or Toilet in the Bathroom. <laughs> toilet in the Bathroom. Yeah, I'd like that have song. a mirror more. in the bedroom. A cigar- <laughs> above the bed, Steve? Oh, come on. Nah, there's a fan above my bed. The oh. mirror's like across from the bed. For us. Are these well, original compositions yeah. on the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Ron fucking Estrada. Jesus At Christ, RonTheSandwich.com. We're going to have to do a, a Ron Estrada show. Go ahead. Listen to that minor synth. What oh, a genre. What a, what I got a, a jagged, ge- angular, minor key synth riff we've I got, got a, going on I here. I got a genre boner, Steve. Oh, man. Steve, it's me, J.D. Genre Boner. I'm looking at you with my one eye. Thank God we finally got another boner reference in that, this episode. That'll make you paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wear my sunglasses at night so I don't see the genre boner anymore. Uh, obviously, this is Corey Hart. This is one of his two big hits in America. Uh, we got another mentally unbalanced narrator. Uh, this is more about romantic paranoia, like his woman's deceiving him and he's all paranoid about it. Um, the, the video is extremely Orwave because he's getting followed around by the secret police force. Eventually, they take him in. Yeah, there's a super hot pulls him out of the ducks in jail. Yeah, yeah. Pulls him out. The hot, yeah. The, the police commissioner is a hot chick. She yeah. throws Ooh. him in jail, but then she like lets but him yeah. out. Yeah. What's going on there? Uh, what a so Canadian. His lover, his lover is the dictator in this song. What do Canadians have to be paranoid about? The Trump, in, the, Trump is president. The Inuit. How about too many uh, CFL teams uh, named the Rough Riders? <laughs> there's, there's one too many, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. They're like, oh god, we're gonna. Be- there's gonna be too many. What if what if they're Tom, coming after what me? What if Tom Cochran becomes irrelevant again? Oh. I love the lyrics in this song. Uh, like don't masquerade with a guy in shades, oh no. Mm-hmm. It's such a great weird Orwellian line. And of course there's a line uh, don't switch don't, don't switch the blade on the, the man in shades, oh no. So it's a great That's what that's how Canadians refer to knife fights in, yeah. in their street parlance. Switching, they, switching, switching the blade, the blade hey, bros. Don't switch the blade, eh? Good Canadian that was accent. Great. Thank you. That Nailed was it. It was Thank like I was in Nailed it. But this, song, this song's remarkably similar to Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics, which is oh, why yeah. I'm remarking on it. But this is, I feel it really fits, I feel like that song fits into the genre as well, but it's not on the list, so I won't talk too much about it. But there's also a guitar riff in this song that sounds just like Michael Jackson's Beat It. You're, you, sound you, a little, you, guys, you sound a little music paranoid. I am Eddie. music paranoid. If I were a friend of Corey Hart's, I'd be justifiably paranoid thinking that he was going to rip me off. He's ripping off a lot of people in the song. A lot of people. Here it comes, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet guitar. Beat it. It's coming for you. It's coming for you. But I love 
I love this. There's like a sloppy out of tune synth that comes in at some point in this song. It's just very unhinged. Man, how do you get a synth out of tune? They <laughs> do it really it's hard. Got a little bendy thing on the. You oh yeah, it's true. It did. Yeah, it has a little. You kick it. Ron Estrada gets a little out of control on some yeah. It's starting to that's freak what, out. It's better to be out of control and too far under control. If, that, if we're learning anything from this podcast, it's about freedom. Uh, obviously, this is Men at Work, Who Can It Be Now? One of the definitive mentally unstable narrator songs of the 80s. Uh, this was the first one of their, their two number one hits in America. Their debut album, Business as Usual, actually spent 15 weeks at number one in America, which is almost four months. That's a big fucking album, and it doesn't get as much uh, doesn't get as much play as it uh, as, as you would think for an album with that level of commercial success. All right. Yeah. Well, the... Uh, this, this, the narrator here, he's, it's, it's a little gentler take on paranoia. He's just kind of by himself. He's not hurting anyone. Well, he's totally stoned. <laughs> and he just ordered a pizza and he forgot. In his house. <laughs> he's like, what's going on? <laughs> Who's that? He's, he's totally freaked out. He's there with his childhood friends. Do you he's think he's over? murdered his childhood friends and he has them in the closet? Is that why he wants no, to No, they're stoned. Away? They're stoned and they're, they're all hiding in the closet. They're like, I'm hungry, but I don't want to go outside. Who is that guy? It's just the pizza guy. This song has even more sax. We're hearing a lot of sax in this genre. I don't know if it was just of the time or if I like... think it's I think it's indicative of the time. Okay, so uh, it's not like sax is an inherently paranoid instrument. No, but much no, like it's it adds be very sultry as yeah, well. Much, you know, much as it adds these to guys a sultry are, genre, it also adds to the the paranoia. And these guys are jumping on every trend right here. They're they're Australian. They're doing George Orwell. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're really doing jumped on that Australian trend. Yeah, I believe you, I Australia. believe Hunter. You said at one point that if, if if there's one thing about you, it's that you don't trust bands from Australia or Australians. I think is what he said. Yeah, I think yeah. I have a natural distrust of Australians. Yeah, you said yes. of Australia. Well, okay. Well, he meant Australian people. It's I was trying to dial it back and not make um, him. Uh, well, I mean, I specifically uh, music. I feel, I feel like they're 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 taking trends and they're coming from a mind, my ear holes. I feel like these guys really had to go out on a limb to write this song because, as everybody knows, there's paranoia does not exist in Australia. It's way too wide open. Uh-oh. Like you can you can see all around you all the time. It's a big open country. The bi- you don't know this because you, when you see the pictures, they look close together. But the buildings in Sydney are like five miles apart from each other. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you just look around. There's no, no there's no, no one for miles. You, no, you crack a, you, you, you crack a Budweiser brand Fosters. And, Australia and has has relax crocodile. No, Australia has the most deadly versions of every single animal, like great white sharks, funnel webbed spiders, Belcher's sea snakes, and Russell's crows. The ten most deadliest animals on the planet all live in Australia. Like, we see a snake in our backyard in Michigan. Oh, it's probably a a garter snake. Worst case scenario here, it's a rattler. In Australia, it's called a death adder. Yeah, (laughs) death is at every doorstep, which is probably why this guy's freaking out. Yeah, that's why he doesn't want to leave his apartment and go to the mental institution. Well, if you think a wallaby's gonna sneak up behind (laughs) you and give you a poke on the backside, you just turn around, crocodile. There's no one there. That actually was pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's right. you're, you're getting better. Imagine into your accents. I don't like that good one. Imagine if you'd practiced. He did. 
<laughs> you went through my practice. Hey, 50 States, 50 Podcasts. The bus is slowing down. Where are we stopping, Hunter? Oh, I thought we'd stay on theme and take us to the most paranoid Virginia. West Virginia. Oh, take me home, Mountain Mama. <laughs> but let's uh, let's keep the psychosis sexy. So paranoid, they exiled themselves from Virginia. Exactly. Like, oh, Needed a presidential decree to do it. I don't know about that, Virginia. Uh, so this is a sexy psychosis. This is Watching You, Watching Me by Bill Withers. Oh, yeah. Yes, West Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. His name is Hunter. West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. America's armpit. I thought that was Ohio. Nope. nope. Voted the I most was Indiana. Voted the, no, that's where... Oh, that's the Midwest armpit. If if the country had diarrhea, Again, it Ohio. would come out in Indiana. But voted the most depressing <laughs> state in the country by some website I saw. West Virginia boasts the world's largest living sycamore tree. Woo! Dave, you're kind of an expert on large trees. He yeah, is. Mostly sequoias. Mostly sequoias. i got to show you my new sequoia lamp. It's great. Oh, fantastic. West Virginia, the coal-dependence economy that will literally sink Florida. But J.D., so maybe it's not so bad. There's like hundreds of jobs. <laughs> hundreds let's, of let's coal ru- jobs. Let's ruin the world. Low-paying coal jobs. Let's <laughs> keep that industry rolling. That you now might die doing. Another fun fact about West Virginia. If the Confederacy had won the Civil War, West Virginia would be rivaling Michigan as the fattest state in the Union. Woo! They'd be running one and two. Yeah. Um, Polka superstar Frankie Yankovic is from West Virginia. My grandparents had a cunt ton of Frankie yeah. Reckovic. Yeah, That's mine too. It's a lot. I said, a carton, a carton <laughs> of Frankie Yankovic. That's what, uh, yeah, that's what I... Also, Fred Sonic Smith from the MC5 is from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I love Bill Withers. Bill Withers is a kid born black in a place called Slab Fork, West Virginia. He grew up with a stutter, and he still had the good attitude to write something as beautiful as Lovely Day. And even this song is beautiful. Just a lovely man. Yeah. He was also a military kid. Like you wouldn't think that guy, that kid would grow up to right. He's got a beautiful, so beautiful soul. Yeah. Very gentle. Yeah, it is. Gentle. gentle paranoia watching you, watching me. Also, Hank Williams died in... Uh, Hank Williams, he died in Oak Hill, West Virginia, and they're so proud of that fact, yeah. they put a plaque commemorating his death in front of their library. Come here, you may die too. And uh, this song this song actually came off in 1985's uh, same title, Watching You, Watching Me. At this point, he'd, been t- he'd taken six years off of recording because he hated A&R guys and called them Blacksperts, which... With a portmanteau like that, this guy could be on this podcast. <laughs> I heard a great Bill, Wither- Bill Weathers story last night, and I can't remember if my friend Paul or my friend Ken told it to me. We're all sitting around telling stories. Uh, but uh, Bill Withers was in a supermarket and heard people talking about Bill Withers. And they were like, oh, hey, what's Bill Withers up to? I think he's dead. And Bill Weathers said, no, I'm not. I'm right here. And this lady turned and looked at him and said, you're not Bill Weathers. He's much darker than you. And he just said, okay. And then he finished buying his groceries. Huh. That's my Bill Weathers story. Because he should have been covered in coal being a West Virginian. He's full of coal. That's probably what she meant. I felt good in West Virginia, but I think we should get back on the bus. Also, John Denver, not from West Virginia. (gasps) New Mexico. Dick. It's five. (laughs) (laughs) Super excited. Yeah, he's back, man. 
All right, this is XTC with Making Plans for Nigel. This was their first hit single. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys are into this band, but if you're not, I would strongly suggest you check out their catalog. It's one of the most consistently melodic and memorable catalogs of any pop band not named the Beatles. They're fantastic. No, they're, they're really good. And they're you, really, you really good. Dear God, da, 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 da. yeah, they've got so much more in their catalog than that. Yeah. Uh, this is this song is kind of uh, it takes the uh, the concept of the nanny state to sort of an extreme. This is this could either be sung by Nigel's overbearing parents making plans for him, or it could be like uh, agents from a benevolent Big Brother esque government department making plans for his happiness, keeping him keeping him under control by making him happy. Like maybe he's going to play Candy Crush on his phone later. Oh man, I would do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They see, they know everything about it. Release those endorphins. Makes them best qualified to determine his future. It seems like somebody's walking into a room where somebody's sharpening knives, and they're just like, "We're just making plans for Nigel." Yeah, it's very, it's a very cheerful obsession they have with Nigel, repeating his name over and over. But the music is real slow and creepy. And like, Yee! this song is just—it's super discordant. It's very unsettling. Like yeah, nothing very goes angular. together. Yeah, it gives me the willies. I always really liked this song, but I actually knew it first by Primus, and then I went back and found XTC. This oh is, yeah, I remember Primus covering this song. Yeah, I forgot about this. This was produced by Steve Lillywhite, and uh, he was famous for Phil Collins and uh, Peter Gabriel for doing the gated reverb drum, which you can kind of hear on this, which I call the paranoid snare because it doesn't want to venture too far out. Let's keep it tight. Snareanoid? Parasnare? Oh boy. Snareanoid. Oh, f- awesome portmanteau <laughs> here, guys. They're flying out of us right now. That's because they're so easy to come up with. <laughs> I think Steve Lillywhite worked effect. on like it's early lazy. U2 albums, too. Yeah, he's, he's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, but at yeah. the time, he was doing kind of like that. Which is the... Di- Oh, that's really hot stuff. Thanks! Thanks! I'm just trying to make everything interesting. It seems like we've run out of things to say no, about No, I was going to say, this is kind of like this, institutionalized by suicidal tendencies, which if Steve put some... Punk had a lot of uh, yeah. George Orwave in it, but we're not verging on that. No, but uh, Punk is, had a lot of paranoid creepier. music. A lot of paranoid music, not as creepy as this yeah, song. This is... Uh, George Orwave had a sound like Divorce Core. There's songs about divorce that's not Divorce Core because it didn't have that production yeah, yeah. sound. I, I, also, I, get it, I, I get it. I'm just I saying. did think about putting Electric Eye by Judas Priest on this countdown because the lyrics fit really well, but in the end, I went with the, the sound over It's the very narrow. I'm just saying there's a cousin. And now I'm going to start listening to XTC. Thanks, guys. Oh, you definitely no, should. XTC's great. Ron actually de- accidentally did the perfect bumpers for this episode. Yeah, I'm so excited for this. Four. <laughs> <laughs> Where's he oh. is, He's not LA-based, is he? No, but I think he's in L.A. right now as we record this. He really? emailed me and said he's here. <laughs> and you didn't respond? No, I didn't. Is he watching us? He, Ron Estrada can eat a dick in person. Uh, but online, sending sending us bumpers? Love him! Shit, man, I'll Just buy kidding. him a beer. Just kidding, Ron. Dave will buy you a beer. You'll be long gone by the time you hear this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the music. I've pulled a Dave Lyons and put maybe the best song in the countdown down at number four. This, of course, is Hollow Notes with Private Eyes. 
See, Steve, I don't, I don't we, think both, we both know what we're doing. I don't think this is that good of a song. Oh, it's fucking great, you idiot. Yeah. Oh, oh. Ow! The only one in purple really, really embodying Prince. Yeah, and by the way, uh, it's a purple Hawaiian shirt, something a Prince would I'm partying nev- like it's 1999. Wouldn't be caught dead in. Uh, well, no, he's a, he's a bit more of a foppish dandy than I can pull off in real yeah. life. But it's because you're not trying. Can we start? No, I should to him? try. Can I we should try. Refer harder. to him now as the artist formerly known as Prince. That's enough. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> no, Steve, dickhead. Steve's got a lot of fun facts about this song. Well, that this I song hear. has a lot of fun facts about it. <laughs> this is it's like it's a poor version of the kisses on my list. No. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. This is an impossibly bright, catchy, upbeat tune that wraps its dark subject matters. Real stalkery, kind of like every breath you take by the police. We're heading down the Steve hole. Yeah, but... Uh, I love it when he gets passionate. There's, yeah. this, there's so much goddamn melody in this song. It's amazing. It just will never leave your head. It's got this bouncy new wave beat, but the lyrics are so dark and disturbing. And there's also a possible cocaine reference in the first verse while she's blowing the lines, which mm-hmm. I think ties it all together. Uh, like you, you listen to this and you think, God, what was going on between Daryl Hall and his girlfriend Sarah Allen at this point? Then you, then you do your research, you learn that the two of them co-wrote the lyrics together. And then you worry even more about what was going oh, you mean, on you between mean Oates. them. Oates wrote the lyrics. No, no, no. he did not. No. So Daryl Hall and Sarah Allen wrote the lyrics to this song and together. They're, 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 and her sister, Sarah Allen's sister, co-wrote the music. There are, and there was another guy. There's four people, There's four writers. Recognize. Four writers of this song, not one of them was oats. Oh. Well, then my theory of it being a too simplistic of an oat song is totally yeah, off no, base. Way off no. base. Yeah. It's not even an oat song. Well, I, it's far enough off base to write a Yacht Rock episode around. This is Yacht Rock, by the way. It is not a Yacht Rock yeah. song. No, but it is amazing. But it would be uh, adjacent. And I want to say, Hall and Oates had terrible music videos. Oh, they were they, all Yeah, they, this was really early in the music they were video really craze. Pretty. They didn't even try. No. But back on, back on the genre, listen to the ominous synth. The ominous synth during the chorus is great. It's like there's just this one note drone. And they had no idea at the time what a drone would, what a spy drone would be. Yet they're yeah, using a drone. Yeah, now there's drones do. in the sky. Yeah, they had no idea. <gasps> Watching us. Daryl Hall, Sarah Allen are Very Nostradamuses. Thanks, guys. Is that minor? Is that minor key synth? It's it's going between. Three. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. Oh, this is great. Ladies and gentlemen, the Alan Parsons Project. I love the first half of this song. This is Soma. This is <laughs> musical first, Soma. Is that why you only play the first half of songs? <laughs> you play at home? Yeah. Well, no, I get excited and try to... Man. All right, so Alan Parsons was the audio engineer on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which is probably the only album in history that could make an audio engineer into a star on his own. <laughs> uh, most of most of the Parsons Project albums were like these, they're, they're these prog rock concept albums. But in the early 80s, when prog bands like Yes and Genesis started going pop, uh, Alan Parsons went full on soft rock with this album. And this Eye in the Sky is far and away his biggest hit single. 
because it's a song. It's not, a, it's not like a concept album about yeah. Edgar Allan Poe poetry. So this is Prague once again defeating totalitarianism, fascism. No, Absolutely, it's, it's, that's it's what pop, it was born to do. It's pop defeating totalitarian no. Prague. No. Ah, sorry. Good improv. <laughs> yeah. Here's, so here's what I'm just realizing. There's uh -oh. a whole intro to this that we're not hearing. We just went right into the song. There's a whole intro before it. Yeah, it's a separate track on the CD. The intro to this song is Serious, which was the Chicago Bulls theme music. And in, that uh, one is so fucking awesome. So right. you don't like this one? Well, this is fine, but I was researching, I guess, Dave wants to rush into Serious. the room like Michael Jordan. No, start doing I, wanted to, oh, the, yeah. I wanted to fucking hold a guitar in a dark room and strum it and pretend I was a rock god. And that's what Serious did. This one's just kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Except good. the lyrics are just Disturbing. There's a there's an Orwellian surveillance metaphor that goes even beyond the stalker mindset of our, of our previous song, and truly locates the controlling totalitarian dictator within. There's another narrator who's been deceived by his lover. He knows her inside now, but now the threats aren't really even veiled anymore. He's just gonna fucking go get her. I don't maybe know. He's so soft and smooth. He maybe he's the one deceiving us. Oh, mm. Sounds rehearsed. Yeah. Here's here's a philosophical question about George Orwave. Is it paranoia if the narrator of the song is the watcher? That's a good like we have a yes, few absolutely. we have a few songs like that. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I just wanted to bring that up. It, just, it still gives you that creepy vibe. It's, it's almost like a sex me up. It's like a paranoid me up. Where like I'm <laughs> like this guy's going like I'm watching you and I'm listening, going oh he's watching me, JD Riznar. Oh I'm I'm scared now. It's, yeah. it's also if it's prog based and you're the watcher, you're exposing the truth. So it's 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 serving the the greater good. Do you think maybe he's just like singing a nice song to a girl? Like, hey, you can be yourself no. around me? No, this is no. not a nice uh, song you, to a girl. You, because I've watched you through your windows and with my eye in the sky and I've seen you do everything. So you can just you can be what you want to do because I've already seen it all because I'm a creep. Have you ever tried that line on a, on a lady? You've met my wife. That's how we got her. I'm the eye in the sky. <laughs> Watching you. I, I've always felt like the, the the band name, the Alan Parsons Project, has always like weirded me out because I felt like it wasn't a weird, a real band, like it's a work in progress. Like I'm surprised they had hits because it seems like they should be half baked. They're just a project. They're yeah. not committing it's to. Got, it. They got different singers on different songs. It's just an audio engineer making his own records, playing his own instruments. I like it. It's great. I like this future. Number two. I believe, baby. Yeah! Oh, boy! Oh, yeah! Uh, yeah we're, now we're back to Chicago having the mentally zone. unstable Rockford, man. Rockford, Illinois. Close enough. <laughs> we're going to hear from, we're gonna hear from uh, Twitter on that if anybody follows us in Chicago. This is a cheap trick with Dream Police. Sorry, Hoffman State's born. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was this was the title track of Cheap Trick's first so album mad. after they became stars with Ed Budokan. And there's nothing, there's no better illustration of the weirdness that was lurking just below the surface of a lot of their best work than this song. Uh, the weirdness is no longer even below the surface. Like the paranoia is just up there. Um, there's like this weird angular section in the middle where the synths kind of take over and 
This is the earliest song in the countdown. This is from 79. So maybe that little section there is the one that helped pave the way for the musical foundation of this arbitrary genre. This is uh, this is definitely groundbreaking Coke sense. I would yes, say this is uh, Blodicon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, buddy of mine from back home, uh, you guys know Jimmy Carter, uh, not the president, uh, said we should uh, do a list, songs cocaine wrote. I think this is that list. It's Jimmy, partial. Jimmy, partial. Is Jimmy Carter the guy who who made Marina Rock with you? Yeah, he wrote the script Marina Rock. He should be on this podcast. Why isn't he here? Oh, he never left Michigan. Oh, oh. oh JD. I'm sorry. Hi, Jimmy. Love you. I do. I really do. No, he's a good dude. You know him. He's the guy that wore all purple to my wedding. Oh, somebody wore purple. About <laughs> fucking time. Uh. R.I.P. Prince. Uh, So do you guys Alright, here's the question Do you guys think this song is more the product of Cheap Trick Freaking out about being stars Or did they just get access to much higher quality cocaine I think it goes hand in hand Right? Mm. Maybe the cocaine increases your freak out about rock stardom And and sudden fame It's a chicken or the egg thing You You get more famous, you get better cocaine You get more paranoid about people wanting things from you But then you're taking more cocaine that makes you more paranoid And you're you know what? Yeah. Comes, it's a, it's a, what do you call that? Like a snake that eats its own tail? Like a uh, Mo- not a Mobius strip. It's the it's a, I don't know how to pronounce it. Earl Burroughs. Yeah, an Earl Burroughs. Yeah, yeah an Earl yeah. Earl Burroughs. Well, yeah, I never hear anybody pronounce that out. Like, um, it's a snake eating its own tail thing. I, I it's kind of like my when, like the people I know who smoke weed to get over their social anxiety, but then they get all paranoid that people are talking about. Uh, them. Yeah, that happens. It does. Um, th- I think these guys aren't getting enough REM sleep. And that'll oh. make that the cause of that. Like they're trying to fall asleep, and the the dream police are attacking them, and they're waking up, and they're not getting into their dreams. Yeah. And if that happens, so maybe it's coke, and maybe it's it's fame. But regardless, when that happens, it turns you in very psychotic and uh, paranoid. Yeah, you've got to get your REM sleep. You, yeah, I learned that working night shift. That's what that's what gets you back that's, to normal. That's, yeah, that's what's really gonna fuck you up if you miss out on it. The REM sleep. That was fucking perfect. It's ridiculously on the nose. Did he, he didn't know the genre when he did these, did he? No, he said them weeks ago. Now I'm oh. fucking paranoid, because this is... He's in, he's in town right now. Maybe we shouldn't... Oh, my God. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't reach out. Maybe he's watching us. I just got chills. Hey, guys, it's number one. <laughs> it's Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. One of the most paranoid songs of the 80s. Featuring obvious but uncredited guest vocals from one of the most paranoid pop stars of the 80s, Michael Jackson. Dad, I want Michael Jackson on my record. You jumped the gun. I haven't announced that Rockwell is actually the son of <laughs> Motown founder Barry Gordy. I was just leading into it. Timing. Do, do that, Timing, do that bit. He's actually Dad, I want Michael Jackson on my record. It's funny you say that because Rockwell was actually estranged from his father when he recorded this song. He was family friends with Michael Jackson from back in the, the old days. With Jackson 5. Dad, I want you to be impressed by my song because I had Michael Jackson on it. 
Well, that's the again. best way. It's the best way to impress his dad because, as we can hear in this song, Rockwell is maybe not the best singer in the world. God, no. It is barely appropriate to call him Rockwell. I mean, you take Michael out of the equation, you're just going to call him Talk Poor? You know, you notice they didn't call him Singwell. <laughs> no, they didn't. And I've, he's like the one, or actually, the weird thing about this, this song's terrible and the talking he does in it is terrible. And I think Murray Head is the one guy who heard Rockwell and was like, oh, now he's got a sound. And then he yeah. went and recorded One Night in Bangkok, yeah, which Murray, came later in Murray Head and Falco were like, hey, this has <laughs> this something. Guy, this guy's got something, yeah. Ugh, terrible. Don't turn around. Um, but the the thing about Rockwell is he does sound unhinged enough to sell his character on this one song. Oh, it's great. It, fi- it fits perfectly for the subject matter. This also, part of the reason I've made this number one, this was released in the second week of the year 1984. It captured the national mood so perfectly that it had to be number one according to my complex algorithm for choosing number ones. Congratulations, we each have them now. We'll have competing apps. Uh, this is I'll also let the, the market decide. This is also on the pilot, pilot episode of Miami Vice. Yeah. And oh, a no- show about cocaine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the point I was going to make. It's a show about cocaine. Uh, let's be. This is a Michael Jackson song. Let's be honest about Absolutely. it. That's why it was successful. Yeah. But let's I be bet. Honest. I bet there is a version floating around with Rockwell singing the chorus, and I bet it's oh horrible. God, it's got to be it. out there. He must have recorded it. And even though he had nothing to do with it, I bet Quincy Jones called up Michael and said, "Michael, baby, it's Quincy, man. I'm at my nope, daughter's. Nope. Rash- Hold on. What? It's Q. It's Q, man." Hey, I'm at my daughter Rashida's dance recital, man, and she's awesome, but... Yeah, I'm on a cell phone because I'm rich, man. This is my Quincy Jones impression, it's by the way. It's spot on. It's spot on, totally. All right, listen, Michael. Barry's son recorded a song. It's atrocious, man. You got to sing a chorus for him. Hold on. Rashida, baby. Rashida, smile. You're on stage, baby. You got to smile when you're dancing, man. Okay, I got to go, Michael. Uh, meet Rockwell in the studio. Cue out. Cue out. Thank you very much. Spot on. Thank you very much. For, Nailed it. For, you got uh, your Al Jarreau and your Quincy Jones impression in this one. Did I do an Al Jarreau? Oh, you I did scatted. an Australian, yeah. too. Oh, my yeah. Australian? Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm the Mel Blank of the podcast, <laughs> You really are. He's a great, great job. B-L-A-N-K. <laughs> Uh, good podcast, everyone. Holy shit, we did it. What, yeah. didn't, ma- what didn't make the list? Uh, Hunter, do you have an opinion? I do. I would have picked Rumors by the Timex Social Club because uh, it's fun to dance to gay rumors. Also, Jeopardy by Greg Kinman because you can dance to a game show reference. Jeopardy's a good one. Jeopardy Dave? fits pretty well musically. Uh, uh, out to Get Me, Guns N' Roses. I can't figure out if... Uh, out to Get Me is his paranoia or somebody just wanted to kick the shit out of him. But also... Uh, Maybe Paranoia, The Destroyer by the Kinks, which is I, th- awesome. I did consider that one. Yeah, that that's was a really fucking spot on Out to one. Get Me is a little late. That came out in 87. Yeah, but uh, After Paranoia, Gorbachev. The Destroyer is kind of a medley of Kinks songs. Yeah, they it, fucking kick it kinda, in yeah, it kind of sounds like a schizophrenic rehab, like little bits of his, his yeah, memories are why, coming back that's in. That's why I thought about it. I, bl- I thought about it, too. Good job. Yeah, Believe right. it or not, I thought, job, that, you, Steve. I thought that Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. would be a good fit on here. Uh, Musically, it kind of fits, actually, yeah. And, and I think lyrically, because Ghostbusters, is the song is kind of about this guy's afraid that a ghost is sleeping with his woman. Kind of. You listen to 
all Ray Parker Jr. music. It's all about cheating. It's it's uncanny. You look at listen to his greatest hits. Every song is about cheating. Is that why he got sued for stealing a bass line from Huey Lewis? Probably. He, yeah, he, that was a bit of a cheat. That yeah, was a bit of a cheated. cheat. And you know cheated. what? I, I forgot to mention that I feel like the person who finally killed this genre was Rocky in Rocky Four. Oh. I think he, he destroyed he communism. He yeah, because Russia. he won the Cold War. Yeah, and everybody in America Drago. felt super great, and we were just like patting ourselves on the back. Paranoia gone. And yeah. then the Berlin Wall came down yeah. a couple yeah. years later. It's yeah. a fantastic theory, and I give it credence. Creed. Ah, uh, Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like the band. Yeah. Creed. Uh, Creed. Never forget. Join us next week, Dave. Are we doing stat tracks? Yeah, we're doing stat all tracks. Stat tracks. All the greatest songs about grown-ups having sex with underage teenagers that millions of Americans had no problem with whatsoever. Top of the charts. It's so gross. Next on Beyond Yacht Rock, please join us. So find this week's George Orwave playlist by following JD Riznar on Spotify. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve. H. Follow David, David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Go to YachtRock.com for what will hopefully one day be a useful experience. Thank you, Ron Estrada at Ron the Sandwich for sending the countdown bumpers that were yeah. bizarrely appropriate. Thank you so much. There's Ron. something in the air. Yeah. It's maybe it's like an eye in the sky Scary. was telling him what uh, what we needed. Thanks to Matt Lee and Rob Crow for additional bumpers. Thanks to producer Dustin Marshall for allowing us to do a bug sweep before the record. Go to feralaudio.com for other podcasts. Use our Amazon button to buy your shit. Buy all the tracks from this week's list. Yeah, buy all the albums. Buy everything. I swear Feral's not tracking you. Amazon probably is, but with free shipping for Prime members, Bezos can peep my dick all he wants. It's called meat peeping. Good night! Feral. Audio.